Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. It's been a pretty crazy week, yeah? Can we, uh, can we start with just everybody taking a collective breath together? Wow. Maybe one more. So a pastor gets into a taxi cab, and uh, they're in a really bad accident. In fact, so bad that they both die, and they find themselves before the pearly gates of heaven and greeted by... St. Peter, of course. I don't know why, but that's, what, that's how the joke goes. So St. Peter looks to the taxi cab driver and he says, oh, we've been waiting for you. Let me show you what's in store for you in heaven. And he shows him this picture of this beautiful mansion with three swimming pools and a, and a, a, a golf course. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, this is heaven. And the pastor's like, well, if that's what he gets, what am I going to get? And so he looks at St. Peter, and St. Peter looks at him dryly. (laughs) And he says, this is what you have. And he shows him a field of overgrown grass with a little hut in the middle. And the pastor's like, that's it? Like, how come he gets that and I get this? And he says, well, it's easy, Pastor. When you preached on Sundays, everybody went to sleep. But when they got in his cab, they prayed for their souls. (laughs) (laughs) There's an old story about a farmer who um, rescued an eagle, an eagle that was struggling. And so he brought him back to the farm and uh, nurtured him back to himself. But he wanted to keep him as a pet because he had grown fond of the eagle. So he attached an apparatus to the eagle's legs so the eagle would never fly away. And he put him out back with the chickens. And the eagle learned to watch the chickens, and he started pecking in the, in the dirt for worms and became very accustomed to the life of a chicken and started taking all the characteristics of a chicken, thought he was a chicken. And then one day, the farmer's friend came over and was like looking in the backyard and seeing this eagle, this beautiful creature, walking around pecking in the dirt for worms. And he said, what is this about? He said, this is not what this creature was meant to be. Can, can we let him go? 
And so, yeah, he said, okay, let's let him go. So he takes the apparatus off the leg, and the eagle just kind of looks around and pecks in the dirt for worms because that's what he had learned. And that wasn't enough, so the friend and the farmer took the bird up onto a high peak, and they lifted him up, and the eagle saw the open blue skies, maybe a flicker of sunlight, and he remembered who he was. And he started flapping, and he flew away. That's the end of my story. I thought this morning I'd like to start with a joke and a weird story about birds and a confession. So I'm two of three so far. Let me get to the confession. And I hope you guys don't throw stones. I am an unbeliever. (laughs) That's right. And so are you. But before you guys get your eggs and tomatoes out to throw at me, let me explain a little bit. When we come to faith, if, if we've come to faith, we come to faith very simply because we've heard a message of the gospel. We've heard who Jesus is, and there's something that pulls us toward Jesus. And we put our faith in him. And so at that moment, we trust Jesus for our salvation, Right? And so we're believers for our salvation. But there's a whole myriad of areas of our lives that we haven't quite put all of our trust in Jesus for yet. Things like our finances, things like our relationships, things like our careers. And so as we go through our lives, um, some of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know that he starts to work on these areas in you. might be little things at first, and then big things as you go. This is a process that we will go through for our entire lives. So there are still areas in my life in which I am an unbeliever, in which I need God's help, in which I need him to correct the way I think about this area of my life, because I haven't put my trust all the way in Jesus. What I'm saying is, none of us has put 100% of our trust and faith in Jesus for 100% of our life. There are things that we are always going to be working on this side of heaven. Are you with me? No one's angry at me? You're like, you don't know me. They say that on Jerry Springer. You don't know me. <laughs> I grew up in, um, like, like many of you, I grew up in a very you know, modern evangelical church in which I was always taught there are those who believe and those who, those who don't. There are, you know, these who are the new creation and these who are not yet accepting the reality of Jesus. And there's truth to that. I'm not denying that, but I'm saying there's a whole myriad of in-between spots where we find unbelief in our own lives when we take the time for introspection and looking in the proverbial mirror and seeing who we are and letting Jesus shine the spotlight on the dark areas where we might think, yes, I trust you for my soul, but can you keep this part of my life separate? Do I have to give you 
this part of my life that I know you don't approve of? Or can I just keep that in the dark and we'll be good on this side, but not on this side? See, the process in, in big you know, theological terms is called sanctification. That's what the Bible calls it, actually. And what that is, a, is a, it's just a big word that means becoming more like Jesus. And as we go walking with Jesus, if we are walking with Jesus, he tackles each of those areas in our lives. When I, uh, when I was a, a new believer, I, I had no idea what that meant. I grew up, um, I grew up in, a, in a religious household. I grew up in a, 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 in a Catholic household. Um, and that's not to disparage Catholics because I have some great friends who love Jesus who are Catholic, but I wasn't one of those. I was just the one that followed the rules and didn't have any kind of heart connection to who Jesus was. Uh, and so I followed rules, and I went, I went along with it, did the whole nine yards, was confirmed and all. And I had no idea who Jesus was. I had no idea who I was supposed to be in light of who Jesus is. I didn't know any of that. And when I became a Christian in my early 20s, he started working on stuff. And I was like, wait a minute, like, so I shouldn't do this anymore? And every time I said a bad word, which I said a lot of in those days, it became super loud in my ear, like, like weirdly loud. And I would be like, ooh, that didn't sound right coming out of my mouth. I still struggle with that to this day. I'm not, I'm not pretending that I'm not. I still, the word is in my mind whether I say it or not. Um, it's still a struggle, and it's still somewhere that Jesus points the spotlight on. But I'm saying he does that. He shows me where I am, where my life is maybe not consistent with the truth of the gospel. And if we are looking at our lives, then you've had that same experience. So I'm not saying all this. I'm not... I'm not laying this out to, to lay a guilt trip out on anybody or to, to make you feel bad about yourself. In fact, it's the opposite of that. This is a struggle that, from the beginning of Christianity, believers have all struggled with. And so let me give you some examples. When the... Uh, what I believe, what you believe, is in conflict with the way you live, or the way you think, or the way you behave, then we have this gap, right? This is who I think I should be, or this is what I believe, but this is who I really am. And this becoming like Jesus is kind of just closing that gap and bringing those two things together. So practically, we might say... Um, I feel really lonely. That's over here. This is the reality. I feel lonely. But I believe that Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. You see? There's a gap. And that's just reality. That's just truth. There's no shame. I'm not doing that. I'm just pointing things out. We might say on this side, I hate that guy. But on this side... We know that we are called to forgiveness and to love people. Reality. Maybe you don't use the hate word. Maybe you're, it's raka. <laughs> On this side, we might think, and we probably would not say this out loud, but we think, I'm afraid of people who are different than me. 
I'm afraid of people who are not like me. But on this side, we know that we are no different than one another because the gospel changes all that. There is neither Jew nor Greek, right, nor Gentile. There is nothing different about who we are in the eyes of God. But on this side, we struggle. On this side, we might say, I, I know that there, well, we might say, <laughs> I, I'm looking at Facebook and I'm like, man, I can't stand those liberals. <laughs> or you might say the opposite, depending on your perspective. But we know, because the Bible tells us very plainly and clearly, that there is no partiality in Christ. We are called to love people, different than us or not. On this side, we might have road rage. Anybody? Anybody want to confess that? Lauren, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like people are like, man, it's just me. I get road rage at Walmart. I get road when people don't know how to shop. Their shopping carts are in the wrong way, and I'm like, come on. I have a bad case of it. But on this side, <laughs> I know that the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And I don't always feel that. So there's a gap that I have inside of myself that I need to close, that I want to close. I don't want road rage. I don't want to be angry on the freeway or at Walmart. I don't even go to Walmart anymore because of it. (laughs) If you would uh, open your scriptures to Galatians chapter 2. There's an example here uh, that I'd just like to, to point out. This is the experience that I'm talking about. It isn't just you. It isn't just me. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. Interestingly enough, the Galatians had heard the gospel, and they, and they were excited about Jesus, and they, their lives were changing because of Jesus. But then... Somebody came along and started spreading some half-truths and some other nonsense. And before you know it, what they believed and what they were growing in Christ, all this stuff that was going well in, in their faith was starting to get shaken up. And they were going back into bondage. And so he's telling, this is Paul, he's telling him the story. He's telling him his, kind of his testimony in brief. And... Um, he starts off by saying he's, he's an apostle in chapter 1, not because the guys say I'm apostle, but because God called me an apostle. He says uh, he wasn't saved by even hearing the gospel, but the gospel was revealed to him through Jesus Christ himself. He spent three years, he says, in Arabia and Damascus before he even met any of the pillars of the church. And then he went and he sat for 15 days, he says, he met with Peter who he calls Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for Peter. So he spends 15, 15 days with, with Peter, and then he went out to preach the gospel. And his calling particularly was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, the Galatians. So 14 years later, he went back, he says. This is the story he's telling here. He went back. And he met, and he took his, this time he took Barnabas with him, and he went back and he met with who he calls the pillars of the church. So Peter again, James and John. 
because there's a dispute that had kind of arisen among the Christians, and he wanted to make sure that he was doing the right thing. So he sat through the council. We can read about that in the book of Acts. And he finds out that, yes, he said, he said here, he says, they didn't add anything to what I was preaching. They didn't, ha- they didn't have to add anything. I was doing okay. I was doing it right. So he says he went out. They sent him out. They, he said they gave him the right hand of fellowship. They're, they said, bless you, brother. We are with you. We are one. We are in Christ. This message of the gospel that you are preaching is the correct version of the gospel. There is no other gospel besides this. So Paul goes out, preaches the gospel. Here he is. Telling the Galatians this whole story, and he says in verse 11, But when Cephas, again, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from, uh, from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But look at verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's a lot of words, right? What was happening here? What was happening here? Do you, do you, see, do you see it? He saw something in Peter. Peter, this is Peter who walked with Jesus. This is one of Jesus' closest friends. Peter, a pillar of the church. He said, I saw something in Peter that was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He saw something in Peter that was not in step with the truth of the gospel. See, Peter was saying that he believed one thing, but his actions were showing something else. I love Peter the most. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But when I read all the accounts in the Gospels and maybe how foolish he was sometimes, how quick to speak, foot in the mouth, mistakes, I I don't know, this, all of this, I relate to Peter more than anybody else because this is me. I'm, I'm the dummy. I'm the last guy to get it. So he said that he believed. He said that he believed that there was no difference between Jews and Gentiles. And he was happy to live that way until some other Hebrew people arrived. And then suddenly he didn't want to sit at the center table anymore. He wanted to sit with the people that were like him. You see? That's the hypocrisy that Paul is talking about. If I could just point out that Peter, his mistake was at its root an act of disbelief or unbelief. At least in that moment, he did not believe 
This is important. In that moment, he did not believe that it was sufficient enough to be accepted by Jesus. In that moment, he believed a lie that said it was more important to be accepted by his peers. I'll let that settle in for a second. It was not enough to say that the God who created life, who created the universe, who created these people, has accepted me. I imagine God in this moment looking at Peter before, maybe before the other Hebrews showed up and he was sitting at this table with Gentiles and God beaming and saying, that's my boy. These are my children. And he sees no partiality. He doesn't look at them as other than him. He knows that they are brothers and sisters. And he's willing and not just willing, but he's in that moment with them sharing a meal, which is a big deal in their culture. And now this unity is broken a little bit because he's like drawing back. doesn't want to be seen with the ragtag group of Gentiles anymore. Peter chose in that moment the acceptance of his fellow Hebrews over God's. Ouch. Paul says, and I, and I kind of, I just, I love the phrasing of this. He says that Peter was acting out of step with the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel declares that there is no difference between these people. The gospel says that in Jesus, God was making a family for himself out of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The gospel still does that today. And just to be clear, the gospel my friends, the gospel destroys racism. Are you with me? The gospel destroys racism. In this moment, Peter, Peter forgot who he was. And, and we'll have grace because we all do this. We all get caught in these moments where something else is more important to us than God's love and acceptance. Every day probably. So we're not condemning Peter. We're just pointing out that he, he is like us. Peter, Jesus' friend, walked with him for three years, planted churches, was used by God in extraordinary ways. He also had the same struggle, that he did not always live the way he said he believed. We all have the same struggle. In that moment, Peter forgot who he was. Peter this man was walking around picking for worms in the dirt when God had created him for much greater things. Thank God he had a friend like Paul who pointed it out to him. <laughs> so what about us? Does our what I believe ever come at odds with how I live? Do we say that we trust God on one hand, but on the other hand, we live in fear and anxiety? 
Do we say that we trust Jesus for salvation but not with our relationships? Do we say he's all we need but then we don't feel fulfilled unless we're keeping up with the Joneses? Do we say we live for him but he better stay away from my wallet? Do we say we love him yet hold grudges against our neighbor? Do we say we follow him just not during work hours? I thought about, you know, if Paul, if Paul witnessed my life for a day, oh my gosh, what would he point out? What would he see? What would he say, Randy, that's not in step with the truth of the gospel? What would it be? What would, what would it be in your life if you, if you spent a day with Paul or with Jesus? And we do. What would he look at your life and say, no, 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 no. That, it's not good for you. That's not healthy. That's not showing the goodness of God to people. That's not in step with the truth of the gospel. What is it? What is that thing in your life? What is it in mine besides road rage? Okay. I have some good news and some bad news. Are you ready? The good news is, first let me be clear, like I was last week, we're not talking about salvation here. We're not saved by our works. We're talking about sanctification. Two different things. With me? With me? <laughs> We're talking about becoming more like Jesus after we put our faith in him. So the good news is that this work, this work of becoming more like Jesus, it's God's work. Is that good news? That's his work. The bad news is that in order for this all to take root, something has to change with the way we think. Something has to change with the way we believe. God will do the work. The soil, the soil here. We have to be willing to let him do the work. In John chapter 17, I find a really beautiful, beautiful long prayer where Jesus prays for his disciples, for his followers. And by proxy, he prays then for you and I. And uh, I'm just going to read a portion. Starting in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for the sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So God, this is Jesus praying to the Father. And he says, I pray that you would sanctify them. Set them apart. 
I pray that you would make them more like me. Not me, but Jesus. Jesus said that. I pray that you would make them more like me. And how? How? He says, by your word. By the truth. Your truth. Your word is truth. And so we find a pretty good purpose for these little leather-bound copies of the scriptures that we break out on Sundays. Unless you use your phone. And you don't. Uh, The point is that God is doing the heavy lifting in all of this. But if we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to be more like Jesus, if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to be closer to Jesus, then he says this is how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. And when I thought about this, I was like, well, duh, right? Like, how else would I know who Jesus is if I wasn't reading through maybe especially the Gospels? But all of this tells his story. So this, this, my friends, is where we come to see Jesus calling out the religious establishment. This is where we see him helping the sick and the disabled. This is where we see him feed the multitudes and cry with compassion over the death of his friend. This is where we see him angered at the money changers' tables in the temple. This is where we see him say, let the children come to me. This is where we read about how he stood in the gap for the most marginalized. I'm thinking of the woman caught in adultery. This is where we learn about the Sermon on the Mount, the parables, the healings. This is where we come face to face with God Almighty who would rather go through hell for you than spend eternity without you. This is where we find pure, unadulterated love personified in the person of Jesus. How else could we be sanctified? How else could we become more like him if we don't know who he is? The heavy lifting is God's, but we, but we, friends, we must prepare the soil. And I want to say, sanctify me, God, with your word of truth, because I want to be more like Jesus. So then why is there the divide? Why is there the road rage when there should be peace? Why is there loneliness when there should be fulfillment? Why is there fear when there should be a sound mind? Hmm. If it wasn't enough that even Peter can kind of get caught up in this whole thing too and live out of step with the truth of the gospel, then Paul says this. He, he makes this confession. And this is, um, this is out of the, the message translation. He says, and you may be familiar with this passage in, in a more traditional uh, translation. He says, I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to be bad, but then I do that anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. 
It happens so regularly, Paul says, that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty, obviously, it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then he says, the answer, thank God. This is Paul confessing that we all share the same struggle. I want to do this, but I do that. I don't want to do that, but I do it anyways. I struggle. This thing with the spirit and the flesh is all a big struggle every day of my life. And he says the answer, though, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can fix it, and he does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influences of sin to do something totally different. Can you relate? When I read through Ephesians and um, Colossians particularly, I find some very... Uh, for me, it's meaningful in that I find uh, these identifiable tracers, identifiable tracers that let me know where I'm at, and and I love it. I love that Paul starts off by saying he calls us saints to the saints at Ephesus. So, this morning, in spite of this confession of Paul. And in spite of the fact that he's called out Peter on living contrary to the truth of the gospel, he is still saying, we are saints in Christ. He is still saying, this primary identification of yourself needs to change. So, you are no longer sinners. I want to make that a declaration. I want you to hear that and accept it because we've beat up on ourselves long enough. The Bible says, you are a saint. Can you believe that about yourself? Is that hard? Some people, yes. Some people are like, oh no, I know. I know this. And other people are like, I can't see myself that way. I know who I am. Trust the Bible. Yes, you will still make mistakes. But that is not your identity. If you believe that is your identity, you'll keep on living it out. You'll keep pecking for worms in the dirt. You are a saint meant to spread your wings and fly. Meant to rise to the challenges of your family. Meant to be an example in your workplace. Meant to change the status quo. Meant to to be peacemakers in this world that needs peacemakers. So if you would, (laughs) repeat after me. I am a saint. Believe it. I didn't make it up. I read this story this week of a Wisconsin mom who was uh, trying to teach her kids how, how God sees them. Same thing we're talking about right now. 
And she says, you know, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, and then he cleans out all the sin in your life, and actually he sees you as saints. She told her kids what I just said with you. So, and then she named them, and I don't know their names, but the three kids, so it was, you know, St. Bobby, St. Charlie, and St. Johnny. And she would call them that for the following weeks so they could learn their new identity. And then one, one night on a car ride, she said that this uh, Charlie, the middle one, she said, she said, you know, all my saints together in one car, I love this. And then Charlie was like, Mom, what if I don't want to be a saint? To which she freaked out a little bit, like her heart sank, right? Like, what is this? And he's like, I'd rather be a packer. <laughs> One of my favorite authors, um, one who I've really grown to love, especially in light of what I'm talking about today, because this is, is meaningful to someone like me who's, who's screwed up life in big ways. But there is an author, his name is Brendan Manning, and he, uh, he, he wrote like the Ragamuffin Gospel, and he wrote a book called All is Grace. And in that book, he says, uh, and this is a man too, what I love about him is he's like Peter, he's... He was a priest. He spent like six months in solitude in a cave praying to God. He was on fire for Jesus. And then he came out and he struggled with alcoholism, became addicted to alcohol. And then he left the ministry. He wasn't a priest anymore. And he got married and then he got divorced. And he has this life of somebody that you might look at and be like, that doesn't look like what I think a Christian should look like. But in actuality, it looks like so, so many of the characters in the Bible. And so his testimony is meaningful to me. And then he said this. He said, God loves you unconditionally, just as you are, because nobody is as they should be. Do you feel that? Nobody is quite as they should be. All of us are on this journey of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. All of us are. Peter and Paul, everyone. And one more as I, as I wrap up. I wanted to share with you, I shared this with Ben last week, but this, this little scripture that's found in Hebrews chapter 10 that was one of those things in my life that changed my trajectory a little bit. Because I used to struggle so hard with the scripture that says, be perfect, for I am perfect. And I thought, how could I ever? If if that's what Christianity is, then I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, because I'm nowhere near perfect. And this little booklet that I read, I don't even remember where I picked it up or how it came in in my collection of books, but it was this little tiny booklet, maybe like 80 pages. It was called The Key to Holiness. And the whole booklet was wrapped around Hebrews 10, 14. And, um, you know, just to give you a little context, Hebrews is largely about this writer who was a Hebrew and he was writing to his fellow Hebrews and his whole, the whole case was why Jesus is better. 
why Jesus is better than this old sacrificial system that we have. And he was convincing his fellow Jews that this is the truth of who God is. And so starting in verse 11, and we'll go through verse 14, Hebrews chapter 10, it says this. And every priest stands daily and at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had ordered, I'm sorry, Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until the, his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. In verse 14, he says, For by one single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What does all that mean? It means that Jesus is better. It means that his sacrifice on the cross, one time for all, was all that it took. By a single offering, he says, Jesus on the cross, he made you perfect forever. Is that crazy? Are you thinking, I'm not perfect? That didn't take in my life. This is who God sees you as, saint. If you are a parent, then maybe um, you can relate a little bit. Because maybe you birthed the ugliest baby this side of the Mississippi. But to you, that baby is beautiful. Maybe not that ugly. You know what I'm saying? Like you have, like Bree will ask me once in a while, is, is is Bella really this cute, or is it just me because I have mom eyes? And I'm like, no, she really is. <laughs> but it didn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I would still see her the same, with the same intense love. I would still see a perfect baby no matter what. <laughs> and then they get older. <laughs> but still, it doesn't matter if, you know, the middle child gets into your cabinets and breaks all your china because you still love him with that same intense love. And you still tell your friends about the A he got on his report card, even if it was only in PE. <laughs> because you see a beautiful, beautiful child. You don't see the sum of his mistakes. You don't see any blemishes or any spots. You see a person whom you love with an intense love. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees me. Not because we're great, not because we haven't broken the china or whatever, but because Jesus paid the price by one offering he has made us look perfect to God forever. Is that amazing? Is that good news? You see your children in a way that they don't even see themselves. That's what God does. 
He sees you as if you were living up to your wildest potential, which he knows because he prepared those good works in advance for you to walk in. By one sacrifice, he's made you perfect in his eyes. In the rest of the verse, he says, you are also being sanctified. He has, by one offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. So, yes, yes, he sees you as perfect, but he's still working in you to make you look more like Jesus. Amen? So now, with this information, what do we do? How do we move forward? I will give you just a couple pieces of practical uh, advice here. One, whenever you get a chance, I know maybe after this you're going to go eat and you're going to have some fellowship and it's going to be lots of fun and exciting times and Maybe that's not the right time for this. But when you get a chance to be alone, if you get that chance, uh, maybe it's in your extra 15 minutes in the morning, take a long, reflective look at your life and ask yourself, what maybe in my life is out of step with the truth of the gospel? And when you find something, some area of unbelief or distrust in God, change the way you think. That's what repentance is. And put your trust in Jesus for that thing. It might take some getting used to, but it's really that. It's really, if we don't talk about, you know, our unbelief in certain parts of our lives, we'll never get there. We'll just, we'll just pretend it's not there. But if we look for it, seek it out, you know, it's a, it's a process. So number one, take a long, reflective look. Find the areas that seem out of step with the gospel. Number two, maybe spend some time this week getting reacquainted with Jesus and the gospels. Maybe start in John. Number three, surrender those areas of your life that you've been afraid to relinquish to his control. And remember... You will still mess up, and I will still mess up. I'll probably do it today. But you are a saint. If you continuously identify as a sinner, you will live the way you see yourself. But if you learn to see yourself as a saint... Again, you will learn to live out your identity. So you are a saint who sins sometimes. (laughs) But we all are in that boat. But be a saint nonetheless. Because, and I'll finish here, you are called not to live on a farm and peck for worms in the dirt. You are not a chicken. (laughs) but you were called to spread your majestic wings and soar. You were called, according to the scriptures, to live in the potential of of God, who the, the potential that God sees in you when he looks at you in perfection. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus, and he knows what he has called you to do 
That's what we are called to live. That's how we are called to live. We are called to greatness, to change history, to be salt and light. We are called to love God and love others and to make that love known to this hurting world. Amen? So go and be who you are. Father, thank you so much that in spite of our inconsistencies, in spite of our our unbelief, in spite of our doubt, in spite of our issues, thank you that because of Jesus, you see us in perfection. And we pray for the work of sanctification in our lives. We pray, Lord, that it doesn't stop there, that we want to be like Jesus practically in our daily lives, in the everyday stuff of life. So this morning, Father, I pray that you would work in us, that you would spotlight those areas that we've kept hidden and that you would, and we would just give it to you, surrender it to you, that you would change who we are and that we would be more like Jesus, that we would walk in our calling as peacemakers, as lovers of God and lovers of people. I pray that you would have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.